Welcome to Mach 10 Sports. Glad you're with us for this week six SEC preview. Every SEC team is in conference action this week, so exciting times. We got seven different matchup matchups to preview here. We're starting to get into the nitty gritty of it, guys. This is it. This is the first week. It's on the horizon. It's all SEC for a while. Big time favorite part of the year. Let's jump right into it, man. Tennessee at LSU. 11 a.m. Central Standard Time Zone kickoff on ESPN. Just a little bit of an overview. Tennessee comes in at number eight in the country, 4-0, 1-0 in conference. LSU comes in at number 25th, 4-1, 2-0 in conference. LSU could have easily lost Auburn last week after getting down to 17 to nothing early. It looked like it's reminiscent of classic LSU games, going into Baton, going into Auburn, going to Jordan-Hare, not playing well. It's what it was looking like at the beginning. Uh, Tennessee's coming off a bye week after a, after a big win, I would say, against Florida, getting that monkey off their back two weeks ago. It's a big win. They've been sitting at home, getting ready for this game for the last two weeks. From a public perspective, it kind of feels like people like Tennessee a lot in this game. But this is Tennessee's first road test in a hostile environment. Has Tennessee actually played anyone yet? That would be my question to people before we just automatically assume Tennessee is going to win this game. Has Tennessee actually played anyone yet? The Pittsburgh win doesn't look as great after last week. That was a game Tennessee won on the road in overtime, but Pitt just went and lost to an interim coach-led Georgia Tech squad. Florida... Uh, to be determined, first-year staff of Billy Napier liked the direction. Thor played better in that game in Knoxville two weeks ago. But is that really something to hang your hat on? And I get it. You can only control, you can only play the teams that are in front of you. And Tennessee's done that, and they're sitting there at 4-0. But Anthony Richardson in, reinvented himself against the Tennessee defense, specifically the secondary. He had struggled against Kentucky, struggled against South Florida, but went and had a good game against Tennessee's defense, who struggles in the secondary. Struggles in the secondary. Now, to be fair to Tennessee there, to be fair to their defense specifically, Florida did go for it a lot on fourth down quite often, which meant they had more opportunities to convert naturally. Uh, LSU will not do that. That is not Brian Kelly's style. They will try to play field position. They're not going to go. I mean, Billy Napier came out the next week and said, hey, we this was calculated. We knew we were going to go into this uh, week being more aggressive. They that. Billy Napier's not not dumb. He's been around the block. Like, he knew they weren't the better team, but he knew they were going to have to go steal some extra plays, some extra possessions to try to go beat Tennessee on the road, and that's what he did. I don't think LSU's going to have to do that this week, nor will they want to do that. So to be fair to Tennessee's defense, they did play a lot more plays than they probably would in a normal game uh, against Florida two weeks ago. Like I mentioned, the Tennessee secondary is the spot to attack, but can LSU get the ball to their playmakers on the outside? That's, it. that's the issue. I mean, Tennessee, LSU has receivers now. Kayshawn Booty, Malik Neighbors, Dre Jenkins, guys like that that can step up and make plays on the outside. Brian Thomas, forgot about him. Guys like that can step up and make plays on the outside. They just have to have somebody, whether that's Jaden Daniels or Garrett Nussmeyer, depending on Jaden Daniels' injury, can they get them the ball because it's going to be there. Because Tennessee lost a starter this past week in Warren Burrell at corner. Not a great player, but any loss for Tennessee in the secondary is a big loss right now. Um, the LSU offensive line has played better as of late. Uh, I like the way they're kind of getting some push. Played better in the second half against Auburn. Uh, Tennessee's offense is one of the more consistent overall units in college football. 
I know what I'm getting with them every week, and I like that. I know what I'm getting with Tennessee each week, specifically Hendon Hooker, who I think is one of the better players in college football, under the Raider Heisman contender. Again, these next two weeks will be big for him to put up that for that campaign. Who is going to be able to run the football better, though, I think will be key in this game. Is it going to be LSU and a younger offensive line that's getting better? Or is it going to be a Tennessee team that runs the ball more than people like to believe? And also, Hendon Hooker is a legit running threat out of the pocket. Both teams average just over 190 yards per game on the ground. Tennessee just gives up just shy of 100 yards on the ground, and LSU gives up 109 yards per game right now. So it's about equal in both standing in both ways. Uh, maybe give LSU a little bit of the edge in the rushing game because they are playing at home. I think that will have an impact. The quarterback advantage, though, the most important position in sports, as I always say, definitely goes to Tennessee and Hendon Hooker. Right now, Hendon Hooker has eight touchdowns to zero interceptions. I think for his entire career at Tennessee, the guy's only thrown three interceptions, and that is a ton. I mean, I mean that, that is not very many. That is very impressive for a team that throws the ball a ton, is what I was trying to say there. I could see LSU's defense being a bit shell-shocked initially with the tempo Tennessee's going to play with right off the bat. I think that's what initially gets people, just the tempo, your lack of ability to uh, substitute. You can try to mirror it, uh, do what you want to do in practice to simulate it, but it's just not the same, obviously. They run it every day. It's the bread and butter of the Josh Heupel offense try to run as many plays as possible, go NASCAR speed. Like You just can't simulate that in practice. You can do a solid job, but till you get to game day, you're not really going to see what it's like. So I think LSU may take a drive or two to uh, get settled in with the Tennessee offense. Where this game will be won, can LSU limit Tennessee's explosive plays and make Tennessee settle for field goals? LSU would be completely fine with giving up yards between the 20s, just like most teams these days, but it's going to have to step up in the red zone. LSU is currently sixth in the country and leads the SEC in red zone defense. Opposite to that, Tennessee is currently tied for first nationally and leads the SEC in red zone offense. So something's going to have to give there. I think that'll be a big point in the game. Tennessee has scored on every red zone attempt this year with 18 of the 21 red zone attempts resulting in touchdowns. Let me repeat that. Tennessee has scored on every red zone opportunity this year in 18 of the 21 red zone attempts. They've gotten to the red zone 21 times this year. 18 of them have resulted in six to seven points with only three field goal attempts. Incredible numbers there. LSU's got a real challenge to try to stop Tennessee in the red zone, but I think it's what it's going to take. Uh, Yes, LSU's offense is going to have to control the clock and make plays through the air. I understand that. I think Brian Kelly and that staff knows that, but... If Tennessee doesn't stop, but sorry, but if the defense doesn't stop the Vol offense and force LSU to keep up, that plays right into Tennessee's hands, and LSU will not win this game. If LSU get, if Tennessee gets up 14, 21 to nothing, they get in a hole again like they did against Auburn, which I don't think they will. But if they did, 17 to nothing, you're just not going to match Tennessee score for score. You got to control the clock, play great red zone defense, force some turnovers. Tennessee doesn't really do a lot. So with that being said. My final score prediction, Tennessee 31, LSU 27. I think Tennessee is the better team right now. I think this will be a close game, and I think LSU forces a few rare turnovers, maybe even Hendon Hooker's first interception of the week, of the season. I think Tennessee has two or three turnovers, which is unusual for them. Uh, would it shock me if LSU won? No, no. If Jaden Daniels or Garrett Nussmeyer can go have a Steven Garcia-type game like South Carolina did, uh, against Alabama in 2010, sure. If, if they can distribute the football around and get the ball to their weapons, 
Even Mason Taylor at tight end is going to be a weapon and be a threat that Tennessee is going to have to account for. I mean, LSU has the weapons in the passing game to get it done if they can find a distributor. That'll be the key. They can. All bets are off, and LSU could certainly win this game. Because on paper, LSU is more talented. They just aren't more talented at the position that really matters right now, and that's at quarterback. I trust Tennessee's offense more, like I said previously. I think the Vols by far had the advantage, like I said, at the most important position, which I think gives Tennessee the edge. They get out of Baton Rouge of the win, setting up the big showdown next week in Neyland Stadium against Alabama. Vols 31, LSU 27. The betting line is Tennessee minus three, and I think it is right at it, and Tennessee just covers. Moving on to our next game, Texas A&M at Alabama, 7 p.m. Central Standard Time Zone, the CBS night game. This is the, this is the week CBS does their uh, doubleheader. We'll get to it in a minute, but the Auburn-Georgia game is the 2.30 game. Alabama and Texas A&M is the night game. The game that was talked about all offseason doesn't really kind of have the same feel people thought it would. A lot of that is Texas A&M's fault. Another key storyline here, though. Keeping spot here, Bryce Young's ability to play this week. The sprained AC joint he suffered in Fayetteville uh, last week. Will be interesting to see how he comes back from that. If not, it's Jalen Milrose time. It's his team right now. He will get a full-time start. He will have a full week to prepare as a starter. But to the opposite of that, vice versa, Texas A&M will have a full week to scheme him up. That's something... Bama didn't obviously have all the plays they could run, they could fit in with Jalen Milrow, like Saban's mentioned this week. That they have a couple. He mentioned that last week at his coaches show that they're not really running plays right now. It really fit to Jalen's strengths. But if he had to start full time, they would adjust to that. So Bama's going to have that opportunity this week. Same with A and M though, and DJ Durkin. They're going to have all week to prep. They got a little bit of film on him. Arkansas and Barry Odom didn't have that privilege of doing it because Jalen Milrow got thrown into the game uh, in into the second quarter and finish the game. So you didn't have a lot of time to adjust except at halftime. The Bama run game, though, looking like it's starting to hit its stride. I'm liking what I saw last week from the Tide. I think they just out-athleted Arkansas, especially on the defensive side, or especially Alabama's offensive weapons against Arkansas's defensive guys. I liked that matchup going into it. It hit. Seth McLaughlin getting the start at center, I think, is a big deal for the Tide. Big Bama's best game running the football all year, pass protected well. Bryce Young stays in the pocket a little too long at times, but I think they pass protected well against an Arkansas defensive front that led the nation in sacks coming into it. Um, A&M has been struggling to stop the run with McKinley Jackson and Tamisha Adelaide being out. Uh, that hurts the Texas A&M defense, especially from an interior standpoint, because McKinley Jackson – and uh, Tamisha are some one of two of their better players, younger guys, but two of their better players in the interior. Uh, the Aggie defense is getting younger with injuries by the week and having to play guys that aren't ready yet. And Deuce Harmon and Denver Harris out in the corner, out in uh, the edges, the corner positions. Uh, with Jalen Jones being hurt, uh, we had another starting corner go out last week. I mean, mo- moving back over, I like the zone run scheme that Alabama is running right now. I think it's going to have a big effect on an A&M defense that it's just not real gap sound right now. It plays to Jameer Gibbs' running style, to his strengths. If Milrow plays, it's another guy you have to factor into the run game. You kind of get a little bit how teams trying to defend Arkansas. But Arkansas doesn't have the explosive running game Alabama has with Jameer Gibbs. And I think Jalen Milrow is a much better athlete than K.J. Jefferson. But just if you're trying to have a comp comparison, it's something similar to that that teams would have to prepare for. 
Another question, how does A&M generate offense? I mean, really, how, how do they generate offense? Because they are on the real struggle bus right now. Their only real proven playmaker is Devon A-Chain right now. If he keeps getting 20, 25-plus touches a game and finish the season, it'll be a borderline miracle. The Anaya Smith injury is huge. He really helped turn that game for Texas A&M last year and helping them pull off the upset against Alabama. Who starts at quarterback for Texas A&M? Is it Max Johnson or Haynes King? Max Johnson went out with a little bit of an injury. Haynes King just looks like he cannot get it done right now. So a lot of question marks for the Aggie offense. I don't think it gets corrected this week. Where this game will be won, here we are. How does A&M generate explosive plays? The offense is struggling. Everybody who keeps up with college football knows that. They are 14th in total offense in the SEC. How can they fix that as they head to Bryant-Denny Stadium Saturday night? Again, Devon A-Chain, poor kid's bodies wear and tear on the tires there. He's still going to have to touch the ball 20-plus times a game if they want to have a chance in any game. Another name that needs to get more touches is Evan Stewart, the true freshman out at wide receiver. Put him in motion, jet sweeps, get him in space like you did against Arkansas and try to make him get as much as he can against a tied defense. That's pretty good, but that's your only chance, man. you got to mix it up with Evan Stewart and Devon Chain, your best athletes. You can't be stubborn in your play calling. You have to get them in space, and that gives you the best chance to win this game. It's just hard to see any kind of consistent chunk yards coming as the offensive line, especially interior of the Aggie offensive line, is just struggling from an overall, just winning their one-on-one battle, communicating with each other. I just don't see any way A&M generates enough offense to win this game. My prediction, and this is with – Jalen Milrow playing. I'm going with Jalen Milrow playing. This is my score prediction. I think Bama gets it done 34-10. to 10. I could see this game being close for a half, if I'm being honest with you. These are the kind of games, like I mentioned, Texas A&M two weeks ago going into the game against Arkansas. These are the kind of games where Jimbo excels. excels. He plays the under, underdog role well, and I think they will have a solid game plan coming in the first half. And I think they'll show Bama some stuff they haven't seen before. But I think ultimately the Bama offense will get some things going, force A&M to get out of their plan, and have to stretch the field vertically through the air, which A&M does not want to do. Uh, And I think that's where Bama starts forcing some turnovers and carries the game away and controls it in the second half, which I think leads to, like I mentioned, a Bama 34-10 win. The betting line is Bama minus 24. As you can tell with basic math, I have Alabama winning by 24. So I think the line's about right there. I don't know if it's going to be, and I don't think it's going to be one of those games where Bama just curb stomps Texas A&M and embarrasses them. I mean, how many times has Saban really came out and really tried to embarrass someone? I mean, not really where I was actively thinking he was trying to run up the score on somebody. If there was ever a game, it definitely is this one. I just think if Jalen Milrow plays the whole time, A&M does have athletes. They'll be fired up. Bama gets people's best shots. I think A&M will have a solid game plan coming in initially. I just don't think they can consistently do what they're going to want to do against Bama. They don't have the players right now at certain positions. There's just not that they don't have the talent. It's just the experience of going on the road. Like I mentioned last week, a young team going on the road at Mississippi State it struggled, but I think they're going to have a little. They're, Bama's going to have their attention because it's Alabama. It's a big primetime night game. These kids signed up to go play it at Texas A&M for these reasons. I expect A&M come out and be competitive in the first half. I don't think this is just going to be a blowout, but I do think, like I said, Bama separates themselves in the second half and gets a 24-point win. Moving on to another one of the more interesting games in the conference this week. Arkansas-Mississippi State, the 11 a.m. Central Standard Time Zone game on SEC Network. 
Two teams looking like they're heading in different directions here between Arkansas and Mississippi State. Arkansas has to be desperate for a win. Starting 0-3, which is if they lost this game, because they're 0-2 in conference right now with losses to Texas A&M and Alabama. They lose this game on the road in Starkville. They'll be 0-3 in conference. Would not be, not obvious, that would obviously not be the start the Hogs were expecting or wanting to have in the 2022 season. Another quarterback, it may be out. Will K.J. Jefferson play? Has some concussion protocols he's going through. As of today, Wednesday night, this was going to be the first day he was practicing. Sam Pittman has been quoted as saying, if you don't practice during the week, you're not going to play. A lot of programs have that. Uh, a lot of good programs have that philosophy, which I agree with on that. But it'll be interesting. Did he practice today full? I don't know. Uh, if not, we'll see either Malik Hornsby, who they kind of get out as an athlete, kid from Fort Ben Marshall out of Houston, and Cade Fortin, a kid that started his career out at North Carolina, went to, I believe, South Florida, and is now going into the season, was the third-string quarterback for the Hogs. The Hog defense, though, flipping sides of the field. The Hog defense has been struggling as of late and has picked up some injuries on the back end with, obviously, Jalen Catalan out for the year. Miles Slusher tried to go last week but had a calf injury and had to get substituted out. Yeah, the Hog defense is just not better athletically right now. They have to get better in the offseason, in my opinion, through the portal, through the free agency side of things. Just right now, they don't have the athletes right now. Barry Odom didn't just forget how to call defenses. That's that's not true. He just doesn't have the horses to keep up with the elite athletes now that have to play in space. You have to have athletes on the defensive side of the ball now who can go make plays in space. Bumper pool, God love him, is a good college player, but he can't keep up with the elite running backs or slot receivers or the elite athletes that play tight end now. He just can't do it. Uh, moving to Mississippi State a little bit here, though. Let's, let's a team I've liked going into the season. Mississippi State is coming off a much-needed win versus Texas A&M last week. State struggled some in the first half offensively against the Aggies, but State adjusted and never looked back in the second half. Mississippi A&M never adjusted their defensive scheme, and that just plays right into State's hands because if you want to confuse Mississippi State, as you know, you give them pre, a one pre-snap look and a different post-snap look, and that is... Is that that affects that offense. A&M just stayed in a three-man front, and State's going to eat that up after a while. State feels like they're getting back in the saddle, as I feel like they are too. They can get a win on Saturday and get to 2-1 and one in conference. They feel like that one loss at LSU a couple weeks ago kind of slipped away. They were up at the beginning of the fourth. A punt late inside their – a punt fumbled by Austin Williams late inside their own territory – Kind of screwed them, lost all they let. Essentially, they let LSU hang around when they had chances in the first half to kind of put it away into the third quarter, put away, and they let LSU hang around at home, and LSU ended up winning the game. But to the main point, they'd be 2-1 and one with a win against Arkansas this week. Thick of the division race coming middle of October. An interesting matchup here, though, because it's strength on strength, in my opinion, here. you got the Arkansas offense versus the state defense. Uh, running game. Arkansas strength is running the football. State does a good job of stopping the run right now with Zach Arnett, the defense coordinator, has done a good job. They've improved every year at Mississippi State. Uh, whether K.J. Jefferson plays or not, Arkansas is going to still try to establish the run. That, that is what they do. They're going to do it. That's what they're going to try to do, whether it's with uh, Rocket Sanders or not, if Cade Fortin's getting the call at quarterback. But if Malik Hornsby plays, kid's an athlete. You have to you have to watch the option read with him. A kid is an elite athlete that if he gets in space, he can go 75 on you. 
the key for the state defense here is going to be getting home on all their blitzes, either their fire zone blitzes in the run game or their blitzes when they're coming on obvious passing situations. When state can get home and be disruptive, like you can say with a lot of defenses, but they do this a lot. So when they do have success between Jet Johnson and Nathaniel Watson, guys like that because they like to blitz their linebackers a lot, when they have success, state's defense is good. Now, late in the game against LSU, they didn't get home, and that left time for Jaden Daniels to make some plays. Where this game will be won, though, in my opinion, can Arkansas come in and play a clean game? For them to have a chance in this game, whether K.J. Jefferson plays or not, they're going to have to limit their own mistakes. They cannot be having things like turnovers, penalties, missed tackles, which they're really struggling with, misfilling gaps, which they're really struggling with, giving up third and longs and playing out of position. This is the first real road game with one of their best players being questionable, may not play, obviously, in K.J. Jefferson. I don't think they figured it out this week. I think it would be a pipe dream to pick Arkansas in this game with the questions with K.J. Jefferson. As we learned last week, this isn't a good recipe for success to get your first your first SEC road game experience in Startville at Davis-Wade Stadium. A&M learned that the hard way this past week. I think Arkansas learns it the hard way this week. They played in Arlington against Texas A&M, but that is not a true road game. This is their first true road game. Arkansas's backs are against the wall, but they're heading into a hostile environment against a veteran team that returns the most production in the league that is getting their confidence back. I like Mississippi State big here. I like them 38-20, to 20, and the betting line is minus 9.5, so I obviously got Mississippi State covering that. I like Mississippi State right now, man. They are getting hot when they need to. I really like what they're doing. Big game at home. Arkansas is coming in without their best player at the most important position in sports. I just like Mississippi State in this one. Moving to the next game, another big one in the SEC East Division race, South Carolina at Kentucky, 6.30 p.m. Central Standard Time Zone kick on the SEC Network. South Carolina comes into this game at 3-2 and 0-2 and and in conference. Kentucky's coming in at 4-1, 1-1 after a tough physical game against Ole Miss I was at last week. One of the more impressive games I've seen in a while. I really appreciated the physicality out of both teams last week. This is a big game, though, in the Shane Beamer era. South Carolina has not won a road conference game in the Beamer area. Now, I know I, I know that stat's a little miscued. I mean, it's a little skewed. I mean, he's been in the league one year as a head coach at South Carolina, Shane Beamer has. So he didn't win a road game last year and hadn't won one this year at Arkansas. So they're 0-5. They're desperate for a win over Kentucky, though. Kentucky has won seven of the last eight in the series. Most people anticipated South Carolina being where they currently are at 3-2. and two. I did. I, as you can tell, I was big on Spencer Rattler coming into the season. I had, or I am on record in saying I thought South Carolina finished second in the East this year. I don't feel as confident about that anymore, obviously. But I did have them at 3-2 and two at this point. So record-wise, they're about where people expected. Performance-wise, not really. Because they struggled against Georgia State in their first game. Um really struggled whether you want to believe Shane Beamer or not. He acted like they had a real shot in the fourth quarter to beat Arkansas. I never really got that vibe to each his own to agree to disagree. Uh, Georgia was never close. Georgia came into Columbia and did what they wanted to do. Charlotte, I mean, South Carolina didn't really get off the bus, roll the balls out, and kind of handle Charlotte. And then even South Carolina State had some explosive plays against them last week. So they're at 3-2 and two where a lot of people picked them, just not really how you thought they'd get to 3-2. and two. It is a must-win for South Carolina this week. And that's crazy to say because they're going on the road to a team they've lost seven out of the last eight to. And this Kentucky team's a good football team. 
this is this is a must win if they want to have any chance of getting to a bowl or getting back into that upper echelon tier of the SEC East. Big question here. Can Marcus Satterfield, the South Carolina offensive coordinator, and the Gamecock offense get anything going? This may be his last game. If they go out and play really bad and struggle on offense, he may be gone Sunday. I hate saying that, but that's a real possibility. Kentucky is coming off, again, like I mentioned earlier, one of the more physical games of the year so far in college football. Will Levis, as people saw on social media, dislocated a finger in the game. Mark Stoops said he should be fine, though. Kentucky is tough, physical, mature football team, so I think they will bounce back from the tough loss last week. This game is much more, in my opinion, about South Carolina than Kentucky. I know what I'm getting with the Kentucky Wildcats every week. They're going to play a little muck it up style, run the football, throw off play action. They got some weapons right now. They got a better wide receiver group than people were expecting, especially me coming into the season. But I know what Kentucky's going to do. They're going to scheme up well on defense, have a good plan coming in. They'll adjust like they did against Ole Miss last week. They were struggling. They survived the first half. They got in the locker room, made some adjustments, and Ole Miss didn't score in the second half. Where this game will be won, Kentucky's run game for South Carolina's defensive line. The Gamecocks currently rank 12th in the SEC in rushing defense through five games. They're giving up 185.4 yards per game. Every team South Carolina has played so far has had some sort of success on the ground against them. Like I mentioned, Georgia State, who runs a similar, who runs a somewhat of a triple option kind of offense, they run the football a lot, but they had success. Arkansas definitely did. Georgia definitely did. Charlotte somewhat. And South Carolina State surprisingly had some big runs against them last week. But they're playing an offensive line at the blue, the big blue wall for Kentucky that has struggled so far this year in getting pushed. But they get one of the best running backs in the SEC back. He Now, he came back against Ole Miss last week, but he's fresh. He was coming back off suspension. It wasn't injuries, but Chris Rodriguez should be fresh and ready to roll. You could even tell last week his ability to pick up some yards after contact and fall forward helped a group that only averaged 2.9 yards per carry last week for Kentucky. That's against a good Ole Miss unit, but you could tell with Chris Rodriguez being back in there, Cavassier Smoke helping, it helped the Kentucky run game where they're really struggling right now in Kentucky. The offensive line is the right tackle. As you could tell last week, their starting right tackle pulled his hamstring on that last drive, and they had to put in their backup who they signed from a junior college. I forget which one in Kansas. You know who gave up the game-winning strip sack against Will Levis? Was the right tackle they substituted in. And here's a good story for you, just so you want to know. You know who was supposed to transfer to South Carolina because the Vanderbilt offensive line coach was about to go get the Kentucky offensive line job, and you know who was going to Kentucky this year until the Tide, until the Alabama Crimson Tide called? It was Tyler Steen, the Vanderbilt transfer from the left tackle that starts for Bama right now. He was transferring to Kentucky because his offensive line coach was about to get hired from Vanderbilt and he was going to go to Kentucky with him. But Alabama called and plans changed. So Tyler Steen is now helping an improved Alabama offensive line unit. But I thought it was a good story for people out there paying attention. I just feel like Kentucky is just starting to feel confident in their running ability and nothing tells me South Carolina is ready to stop it. It's going to take the Gamecocks' best effort of the season and hopefully South Carolina gets Alex Huntley back this week. But other than that, this is just the same unit that underachieved last year going against one of the most physical running games, most physical teams. Numbers won't tell you that, but if you go watch the film, Kentucky is still a very physical team. It's entrenched in their identity of the program. And South Carolina right now, I don't know if they're ready to go do that and get a win at Kroger Field. So moving to the prediction, 
I got Kentucky winning 34-21. As I stated, big game for the South Carolina program, but nothing has shown me that they are going to go beat a team that they have struggled against recently. I think Kentucky leans on the run game, gets that going for the first time truly this year. They get gets much better than expected receiver play. They're going to throw off play action when South Carolina brings the extra man into the box. I'll be honest. I thought the Gamecocks, like I mentioned, would be better. But they just did not improve in areas they needed to on the offensive line and defensive line. Spencer Rattler is somewhat underperformed, but a lot of it's not on him with the protection from the offensive line. Again, look out for this to maybe be Marcus Satterfield's last game if they struggle on offense. But I do have the Cats winning 34-21 and covering the betting line. Kentucky's given up 9.5, so I think they cover it with a 13-point win. Moving to our next game. The first game of the CBS doubleheader. We're going to the South's oldest rivalry, Auburn at Georgia, 2.30 p.m. Central Standard Time Zone on CBS. Feels like we're talking about the same things every week with Auburn. Looks like they kind of finally settled in with a quarterback, Robbie Ashford, though. They're still struggling at a high, high, high level in the second half offensively. It is very well known Auburn has had double-digit leads against its last five SEC opponents and only won one of them. That's that's incredible. They've had double-digit leads in their last five SEC games and only won one of them. Turnovers are a major crisis right now for Auburn. They probably beat LSU if they don't turn it over four times. They just get split that they don't turn it over. If they just turn it over twice, if you cut it in half, they'll beat, they beat LSU. Uh, defense can hold their own against average offenses, but ultimately fold because the offense is struggling so much. I like guys like Derek Hall, but Iku Leota's out now. He's out for the season, torn pectoral, one of their other edge guys that I think does a good job in the run game. Um, big loss for Auburn. Uh, Georgia, speaking of them, coming off two very unusual back-to-back games and not playing up to par against Kent State two weeks ago. Then obviously the scare against Missouri and Como last week. I'm not here to panic, though. I know a lot of people are. Your guy is not panicking with the Georgia Bulldogs. I said they were going to run the table before the season. I still think they will. 12-0, the regular season, run the table. I just think it's the dogs still iron out some kinks on the offensive line and their protections. they got to fix the turnovers in red zone offense. I know that's been a key this week from talking to people at Georgia. That is the key, limiting turnovers in the red zone offense. Speaking of the red zone offense, why aren't the tight ends being more used down there? I mean, you got the best position unit in the country, in my opinion. We obviously know about Brock Bowers. Darnell Washington's a 6'7 freak. Use him in the red zone. They're not really getting as many targets as they should have. I don't know why Todd Munkin's not doing that. I think they should utilize him more. Uh, would you rather them work, for the people panicking for Georgia, though, would you rather them work those out against more quality opponents down the road now and this ultimately lead to a loss? Or now, early in the season, where you kind of have a stretch where you can work on things you're going to need to improve on and, and have those things fixed when you get into the games late in the season, like early December against potentially Alabama and Atlanta in the SEC championship game or in the playoffs later on, where that's going to matter when you're not scoring in the red zone or turning it over. But I, I mean, me personally, I'd rather struggle in games that I still think I can win. Now, the Missouri game is a little too close for comfort. They weren't trying to get that deep in there. But I still I still like Georgia. Georgia's not going to overlook this one, though. There are a lot of Georgia and Auburn connections in this game for people to overlook this. Obviously, Kirby Smart, the head coach of the Georgia dog, Bulldogs, was a player, played in this game, now coaches at Georgia. Will Muschamp played at Georgia, coached at Auburn three different times as a GA, a defensive coordinator, twice. And then Mike Bobo played at Georgia and played in this game and was the OC at Auburn last year. 
I know Brian Harson came out and said there's a little bit of a mutual respect between Mike Bobo and himself. I've heard a little differently, though. So don't think that some of those guys, those three guys, between Kirby Smart, Will Muschamp, and Mike Bobo, don't want to put an end to this Auburn uh, tenure, especially with Brian Harson. Where this game will be won, execution on offense from Georgia. This is the best offense that Auburn has played all year. I do think Georgia comes out with an edge this week, being back at home and plays their second most complete game of the year. I don't know how they could top the Oregon game from week one. The second half looked like they controlled the line of scrimmage. It wasn't as bad as people think, just looking at the box score. Go back and watch the film. Georgia adjusted their scheme in the second half and controlled the line of scrimmage on offense. And you got a heavy dose of Kenny McIntosh. And I think Kendall Milton needs to step up a little bit. They need to find that second horse. He can be that. He just needs to step up some. I think Georgia's going to lean on the run game. This will open up windows in the passing game off play action and allow Georgia to have explosive plays. Now remember, Georgia doesn't have probably their best receiver out there, I'd probably say right now. They don't have A.D. Mitchell. I don't know if he's coming back this week. I think he's out another week. Georgia has some receivers coming back. Lad McConkey's not a totally 100%. He played last week. But I do think uh, they have a couple receivers coming back this week. That'll help. The real question will be, can Georgia run the football in the red zone? That'll be key. If they can do, this game won't even be close. I expect a more focused Georgia team coming back home against a rival and getting an impressive win. I got Georgia big here, 45-7. I know I said big last week against Missouri, and I honestly thought that was just easy money, and Vegas was just trying to say, hey, Dave, take money from us. Minus 29 against Missouri after playing bad against Kent State, guaranteed. I'm pretty confident, call me crazy, Georgia covers this minus 30 this week. I think a big win at Sanford Stadium this week. The dogs, Kirby Smart has the dogs' attention after two poor performances, and I think it shows, and they take it out on Auburn this uh, this week at Sanford Stadium, getting a 45-7 win. Next game, Ole Miss at Vandy. The 3 p.m. Central Standard Time Zone SEC Network game. Overview of this game, if there was ever a week for a letdown, it is this one for the Ole Miss Rebels. Ole Miss comes in at 5-0, 1-0 in the SEC after their big win, big showdown win against Kentucky last week. Vandy's coming off a bye week, and they sit at 3-2 right now with losses to two nationally ranked teams, Alabama and Wake Forest. Is Ole Miss better than most people thought? I mean, if you listen to my preseason predictions in the My SEC West preview, I had Ole Miss starting 7-0. They're currently 5-0. They got Vandy this week, and Auburn comes to Oxford next week. Ole Miss is where I said they would be. Uh, are they better? Yeah, probably. It's kind of a little bit of the opposite of South Carolina, where South Carolina record-wise is where everybody thought they would be, but you just watch them with your eyes, and they're not passing the eye test of where you think they should be. Ole Miss is the opposite. They're exactly where probably a lot of people thought, or at least us here at Mach 10 Sports thought. 5-0, and probably going to be 7-0 and heading to Baton Rouge in three weeks. But on, But you're just watching it with your eyes, and Ole Miss is better. Ole Miss is better on defense. The run game's getting going. Jackson Dart's getting a little bit more comfortable. But the thing Ole Miss has to do is improve second half off their second half offense. Ole Miss has scored only three points combined in the second half of their last two games against Tulsa and Kentucky. Three points. Let me say that again for the people in the back. Three points combined in the second half of their last two games. Um, Kiffin mentioned this week, that he attributes some of that to the opposition rotating defensive linemen throughout the game and being fresh in the second half. That's an, that's an interesting tape because that's going to continue to happen to you, Lane. So, yeah, I mean, I get it. That, that makes sense. But, like, 
it is what it is. People are rotating a bunch of offensive, uh, rotating a bunch of defensive linemen. And now I don't know if you want to go hurry up tempo, but your run game's your strength this year. So I don't know if you're really trying to do that. So that's going to be something they're going to have to adjust to. And if that's the main reason why they're not scoring in the second half, that's just going to keep happening. But I think that was just him kind of giving an answer in a press conference this week. But I just thought it should be mentioned here, us previewing that game or previewing this game. The good thing for the Rebel offense week this week, though, is. Vandy lacks depth at the defensive line position and has struggled on defense as a whole this year. They rank 121 in total defense out of 131 teams. Now, Vanderbilt overall is definitely a better team as well. They get some guys back off the shelf, apparently, from reading some uh, reports from them. So it'll be interesting uh, where this game will be won. The ability for Ole Miss to limit turnovers and focus on the little things. Like I mentioned earlier, this sets up for a big letdown game for the Rebels. Ole Miss is going to have to show up because the Vandy run game is an above-average group that's averaging 176 yards per game right now. Your, your defense, your front seven can't come into this game thinking, all right, we'll take the week off. We had a big physical game uh, against Kentucky last week. It's just, it's just Vanderbilt. No, no, Van, Vandy and Clark Lee and are a physical front, and they pride themselves on that. They're going to come hit you in the mouth again. So you better be ready for that. You're going to have an underperforming, underperforming uh, game. Uh, again, this is where your culture comes in. I've said this. This is my issue with Ole Miss. You bring in this many people from the transfer portal, are a lot of guys still kind of fat and happy from the game last week? Like they still looking at themselves, looking at themselves on social media, checking their pictures out, hitting the creative guy up for, hey, you got my pics for, from after the game against Kentucky with me waving at the girls, my family's in the stands. That could affect because a lot of these guys haven't been in the culture, if the, whatever culture it is, uh, over there a couple of miles from where I'm shooting right now. Wherever that is, what is the culture at Ole Miss right now? It is a transfer to the SIP kind of culture. We bring in individual players. Does that translate into a sleepwalking game heading into Nashville this week? I think it does, personally. I really do. Again, is Vandy better? Yeah, but Ole Miss is the unquestionably better team here. Ole Miss has only turned the ball over seven times this year, which ranks 57th in the country in turnovers loss. But with that being said, it's prediction time. I think Vandy comes out with a great plan off their bye week. I think Clark Lee's a good ball coach. Will he ultimately turn Vandy around to be determined, but I like him as an overall ball coach. And I think they're going to hang around in this contest. I I think Kentucky hangover is going to affect Ole Miss here. It's the first time uh, anyone on this Rebel team this year with as many new players as they brought has had real success where people are, again, patting them on the back, rolling into kind of a sleepy game this week, midday, I, I don't ever want to say this game's ever going to truly be in doubt. I'm definitely not saying Vanderbilt's going to win this game. You'll hear my score prediction here in a minute. But I don't think this game's going to be ever be in doubt, but I don't think Ole Miss fans are ever going to feel real comfortable, if that makes sense. Like, I could see this game being a um, 17-7, 17-10 game at the half. Ole Miss is struggling on offense a little bit. They look lackadaisical. Probably going to have some turnovers. Uh, probably some missed tackling from tired from the week before. But I don't ever think you really think Vandy's going to win the game. I think Ole Miss kind of pulls away maybe late third, middle of the fourth, and I think they do end up 
Uh, I think the line's perfect in this game, a little bit off topic here. Ole Miss is favored by 17. I think Ole Miss wins the game 35-14. I think they just cover. I just think Ole Miss is going to play not up to par this week. People are going to be questioning Ole Miss again. I'm not going to hold this game against them this upcoming week because I'm expecting it. I think they do have some unusual turnovers. That's not normally them. They're going to commit some penalties. And I think the Vandy offense is going to have some early success as they come out with a good game plan against an Ole Miss team that I think is going to be walking and asleep walking into this game just a little bit again I like Ole Miss 35 to 14 and just barely covering the 17 points they'll be giving up and then the final game of the week Missouri at Florida the 11 a.m central standard time zone on ESPNU the battle the two winless teams in the league but it, but it's not as ugly as the record's showing or as you might think Florida and Mizzou both can make the argument they could finish four quarters they could be 2-0 and in the SEC right now. I mean, you, you could make a uh, legit argument for that. I mean, maybe a little bit of a stretch, but Fl- Florida against Kentucky had critical turnovers late in the game. They were in that game late. They got into the game against Tennessee late, and Missouri sure as hell feels like they could be 2-0. and They had numerous chances to put Auburn away. The end of regulation, mixed, missed field goal, and the fumble in the end zone in overtime. And last week, Georgia didn't have their first lead till 4-0-2 left in the game. So probably a little bit of a stretch to say that for Florida, but for Missouri, if you're sitting there in Columbia, Missouri, you're probably like, hey, we could be 2-0 and at least 1-1. One one. Uh, Missouri has had, again, an interesting past two weeks against Auburn and Georgia. Should probably be 1-1. One one. Florida put up a solid effort in Knoxville two weeks ago and played Eastern Washington this past Sunday and controlled the game like they should have. Besides, just they continue to give up some explosive plays through the air. Uh, Florida has to be able to limit that. And was Missouri's best receiving threat, Dominic Lovett, most like I should say, their most explosive receiving threat. Dominic Lovett, most likely out with a uh, lower leg extremity in- injury. That should help Florida some. Also, Florida struggles to cover tight ends. But the good thing for them is Missouri's tight ends only has three receptions through five games. So that shouldn't be a big concern unless it's just Florida's going to make every tight end look really good this year. Uh, but Florida's coming off a short week. They adjusted the game some due to, the, to a hurricane uh Due to the hurricane this past week, Florida's coming all. Florida and Billy Napier mentioned they started looking at Missouri this last Thursday in preparation for the short week. So on Thursday they were preparing this before the Georgia game. So on Thursday, he means about that he has the support staff, the analyst GA, start planning ahead, which they do that for every game. They always have an analyst on both sides of the ball. Uh, in charge of advanced scouting reports for the next opponent. So that person's always a week ahead. So that's that's normal, but it looks like the whole staff kind of got a good look at Missouri last Thursday, but they had to go back and rewatch the Georgia game and probably a little impressed, especially on the defensive front for Missouri, man. Just some long, some long wiry uh, guys that play for that Missouri defensive front, and they brought the physicality to Georgia last week. They really did. That was probably the most impressive thing out of that game. Um, they've been solid against the run all year, only giving up 120 yards per game. The Missouri front, again, like I said, they're a long, lengthy group, and you look at them, you're like, oh, yeah, man. And, and traditionally, Missouri's had good defensive linemen. But again, big game for both teams. Can Missouri emotionally ba- bounce back for the third strike week? Can Florida play a clean game on a short week? Where this game will be won, Florida's ability to limit explosive plays on defense. I mentioned it just a minute ago. Florida has given up chunk plays to everyone they have played this year. Two things work in Florida's favor here, though, like I mentioned. Dominic Lovick's most likely going to be out. 
and Missouri doesn't use a tight end in this system. Three catches on the season. If Florida cannot limit Missouri's explosive plays, then they will lose this game. They really will. Like, I do not think a ton of Brady Cook, the Missouri quarterback, if he comes in and has a big game and Missouri is a big game through the air, that is not good for Florida in this game and further along the year. That's going to be bad. I do think Florida mixes in some coverages. The defensive coordinator, Patrick Tony is going to do a good job giving them some pre-snap looks, post-snap looks. I think Florida will get enough stops in this game, which will lead me to my prediction here. I think this game is going to be pretty close, though. Missouri is definitely good enough on defense to play well enough to get this road win. One of my concerns for Missouri, though, is the ability just from an emotional standpoint to just put these last two weeks behind you and realize you have a chance to go beat a solid Florida team at their place. Um, This is Anthony Richardson's next test, though, to see if he's improved since his good performance against Tennessee two weeks ago. And I'm telling you, Missouri is a better secondary than Tennessee does. So it'll be tough for Anthony Richardson, who has struggled some against some inferior teams. Uh, Like I said, he had a good showing against Tennessee, but is that more of a concern for the Tennessee secondary? I think Florida's offense is improving. It'll be good enough to hang on to get the tough SEC win at home. The key will be limiting, like I mentioned, Missouri's explosive plays and making them drive the field consistently, which I think Florida will be able to have a good defensive game plan and make that happen. I think Florida gets an extra turnover and a couple extra spots to get this win. And I have Florida winning this game 27-17, to but... I'm going to take Missouri in the plus 11 here. I like getting plus 11 for Missouri here um, just with Florida's ability to just not stop explosive plays, but I think Florida wins the game overall 27-17. to And that's our week six preview here, man. A lot of good games, seven conference games, exciting time. I appreciate you joining us on this episode of Mock 10 Sports. I hope you enjoy your weekend, and I look forward to hearing from you next week.